Hi everybody, Stefan Molyneux here with Free Domain, here with Sarah, who is going to let us in on her topic, what she wants to chat about. All right. Um, hi, Stefan. I guess I'll start off by reading my email to you. Um, hello, Stefan. My name is Sarah, and I'm 33 years old. I've been listening to your show for over a year now, and Jordan Peterson was my gateway drug into the world of modern philosophy. I'm writing to you today for advice on a different perspective on a family matter that's plagued me for over 20 years. I'm an only child. My father has recently been hospitalized and has had a pulmonary embolism after having major surgery. I fear the worst is coming and I really, really need your help to reconcile my relationship with my father before it's too late. My father and I have a strained relationship due to my stepmother and I'm trying to reconcile things with him in order to have a loving father-daughter relationship before his time on this earth is up. My stepmother has always skewed my dad's view of me into thinking the worst and has repeatedly turned him against me. Up until just recently, I have tried to mend my relationship with her for the sake of my relationship with my dad and to bring a peaceful perspective to our family dynamic. I was listening to one of your call-ins and something you said really resonated with me. Only the person who has wounded you can heal you. I suffered years of emotional and mental abuse from my stepmother until I moved to a different country and now I realize I'm not the one who should be apologetic for my actions as a child, which is what they both expect of me. Since listening to both you and Jordan Peterson, I have learned to respect myself and to stop tucking my tail in between my legs when conflict arises like I used to in the past in order to keep the peace. My dad keeps asking me to make amends with her, but she refuses to take responsibility for her past actions and they both expect me to comply with their demands. I feel that now my father is trying to bribe me with his will by saying that she will be the executor of, of his will and reminding me in almost every text message to bridge the gap between her and I. I have stated that I am willing to work with her to obtain closure on this matter if she is willing to take ownership of her actions, but my dad seems to keep pointing the fault in my direction even though these conflicts happened when I was a child. I recently expressed to her that she did something wrong and she came back at me with, we have both done wrong to each other in the past. This is not the response I needed, but it's the one that I expected. I'm writing to you today for your perspective on this as I wholeheartedly trust your judgment and I just want a relationship with my dad before he crosses over the rainbow bridge. Please help me to help myself and my family. That was it. Yeah, that's uh, that's quite a, a story. I am sorry, of course, to hear about your father's medical issues. That is, uh, that is a heartbreaking thing. And um, has he had health um, problems before? Is this relatively new? Oh, he's um, uh, yeah he he's had um, a heart attack in the past, and and uh, ever since I I left and moved to another country. Um, it's just kind of gone downhill as far as I'm aware. Right, right, okay. And the the issues that you most have with your with your father, just can you give me some more detail of the kind of stuff that you, you experienced, if you don't mind? 
Um, well, I can kind of give you like an overview of like from like growing up and it'll just be as brief as possible. Basically. It doesn't have to be brief. This is your oh. life. I, I got time. Okay. I got time. Oh, thank you. Um, so basically, um, my mom and dad were married, um, and then they separated when I was seven. And then when they separated, um, he met my stepmom. And at first, things were like really, really good with her. And I Wait, was with only her and you or her and him with, with everything. But I was only about seven, eight years old. So it was a bit like you know, when when you're a child, things can be fine and dandy until you know kind of shit hits the fan sort of thing yeah and um and then my you know my earliest memories of my dad have always been like one of the most fond or like not fond but just a, a memory that I always have is uh I would hear him leaving for work at about five in the morning and I would I would get up out of my bed and I would run to the front of the house that overlooked the driveway and um and I would I would peer through the blinds and I would see him and he would look up at me and he would wave goodbye and um and he wouldn't get home until I was already in bed um so needless to say he um he always put his his work before family and that's one of well, the reasons why my mom can I sorry him. to interrupt you this is just a, it's a male thing the idea that he put his work before family that is family Absolutely. Right. I, I mean, it's the old thing that that, that that men serve the family by being away, and women serve the family by being there. And and so you know that's 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 a rough life, man. At five o'clock in the morning, it's like that is unless you're just going to bed after a night at Studio Fifty Four. That's a rough time to be to be transitioning at all. So, uh, and, and I'm sure that gave you a sense of of security and like he's out there, he's going to work, he's going to make the money. And uh, so, yeah, I can see that being, but I just, you know, I'm sure you get it, but I just don't want the listeners to get the impression that somehow him going to work is, is in place of family. That's, that's, you know, hunting trips and, and all of that. That's how men serve the family, but sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, no, no. I, I understand that now. Um, it like, as I've gotten older, I've, I've realized, you know, that that's what he was doing is that he was going out and working to be able to provide for my mom and I. And, um, and I, I completely, you know, understand that now, but like, even on the weekends, um, he would just, you know, it was always work and everything. And I just, I never got the time to spend with him. Um, and, uh, like he never really knew me growing up. And then when I was a teenager, after my mom and my dad split up, um, I went to live with my mom because, of course, the courts always let the mother have custody. And um, and I just, when I was a teenager, I just had a really rocky relationship with my dad um, because of my stepmom. And, and um, like, I've, to me, it, it always seemed like my stepmom would, would place him against me on, on everything. I, I would say something... Uh, or like I would do something and, and my stepmom would say, oh, come on, Sarah, that never really happened. And and it would have happened. And it, and it was never my dad never questioned her. He he always just took her side. And as as an adult's perspective now, I can see why. But it would always get me in trouble. And it always kind of like 
made me drift apart from my father. And um, then when I hit about 15 years old, I, I kind of fell into a, uh, a downward spiral of like drug abuse and, um, and things. And uh, yeah, but if, sorry, I'm kind of all over the place here. Um, when, totally when I was, fine. Ch- do, you, do you want me to, I have a couple of questions, but I'm happy to wait if you want to finish the, this part of the story. Um, I, I, I would like to say just one more thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, when I was very young, when my, when my mom and dad first split up, um, they started taking me to a, like a child therapist. And, uh, I mean, um, one of the reasons is because I, I remember my, um, my parents saying was that I was never really enthusiastic about anything. And, um, they take, they took me to a child therapist and then they, um, they had me on antidepressants, um, from a very young age because I was enthusiastic and I'm not quite sure why, um, but yeah, that's just the one. Sorry, thing are you I not think. sure why they put you on antidepressants or why you weren't enthusiastic? No, I I know why I wasn't enthusiastic. It was because I was just a really stoic child. But <laughs> hmm. but I just um, I'm not sure why they put me on antidepressants. I just I don't get it. But that yeah, that's now, the only thing. Sorry, that they being because it wasn't your parents directly who put you on antidepressants, right? That would be the psychiatrist. Yeah, yeah. Right. Well, in my particular view. Maybe this fits with your experience. Maybe it doesn't. But with my particular view, psychiatrists like putting – well, don't like it, but they're willing to put kids on antidepressants because it's a lot easier than the you know complicated and, and sometimes spiritual nature of, of talk therapy and exploring family dysfunction. And oh, yeah, a lot of parents are like, hey, my kid's broken. Uh, something's wrong with her. Now just give her a pill and fix it. And we don't want to change our own behavior. We don't want to change what we do, right? Just go fix this child. It's the same thing with teachers, right? It's not that the school is boring. It's not that the school is geared more towards girls and boys don't have much to do there. Uh, it's just that the boys are, are broken and fix them with pills. So I imagine that's... And what age were you when, when you were put on this, this stuff? Uh, seven. Wow. 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 And how long yeah. were you on for Oh gosh, I uh, I had a really rough time, so I was on and off antidepressants for twenty years. But thankfully now I'm I'm um, able to take care of myself through meditation and going to the gym. <laughs> so yeah, and that's funny, you know, you can't fix diabetes that way. Well, I don't know. I mean, so yeah, it's just um, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, but I'm not a big fan of that stuff. Although of course I'm no doctor or psychiatrist, but uh, I am very sorry about about that experience and and that you know nobody sat there and said maybe we can work on the environment to to sort this out no it's just that drug the kid drug the kid that's the problem yeah pretty much wow wow all right so um yeah so question i had does your stepmom did she have any kids of her own no did you was she i mean did she ever have kids with your dad no hmm I mean, there is kind of, I mean, it, it often is associated with, with new kids, but it doesn't always have to be. Like, you know, this old fairy tale stereotype of the stepmom, right? Um, yeah. Well, there's usually, I mean, there's, I think there's two reasons behind that stereotype. The first is that uh, it's a splitting mechanism, right? So if kids have a mean mom, 
they they like to retain the idea that there's a good mom somewhere around, but the good mom was replaced by the bad mom, which is why stepmoms show up. It's not my real mom. My real mom's nice, but this mom is terrible. Now, if it is the biological mom, that's just a splitting mechanism, right, wherein they divide the mom into the good mom and the bad mom and all that. But if there is a genuine stepmom in the picture, especially if she has kids, then it's like, well, I, I, I don't care about the kids of my husband as much as I care about my own kids or myself or whatever. And so you are a threat to resource consumption without the loyalty that you have being a biological mother or being more wedded to you that way. So I was just wondering about the kids there. It's sort of the same mechanism, although usually a little bit less intense if there aren't other kids involved. Yeah. Yeah. And how bad was your parents' marriage? And just please remind me how old you were when, when they split up. Um, they split up when I was, well, they started sleeping in separate beds when I was about six, and then they split up when I was seven. Right. And how bad was it in terms of how they were getting along and stuff? Um, well, I never really saw them argue, but I heard them argue and it wasn't, it wasn't like yelling and screaming. It was just, um, I could tell that their voices were, you know, like as a child, I could tell that something was wrong. Yeah, I could yeah, just, yeah. sort of ragged, tense voices from without screaming, right? Yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. And did you have a sense that they were heading for a split up? Did that sort of pass your mind? Um, no, I didn't really, I didn't really understand. Um, but then they both sat me down one day and said, listen, we're going to be separated. And that was it. And how was that for you that moment? Um, I was just, I mean, I just said, okay. And, uh, I went to school and I spoke to, um, some of my peers at school and I said, oh, my parents getting a divorce and that was it. And, uh, I just, I didn't really, it didn't quite, I don't know. I, it just didn't really bother me then. Okay. So what that says to me is that you help you felt helpless in in the environment well, because you know if if you felt powerful or if you felt like you could have an effect then what you would do is you would say like no like like let's figure it out let's work it out or what's going on or some i mean i yeah, i mean i know you're you're like 7 or whatever right? or 8 so so it's not like you would have a big toolbox or anything but you would express um you would express your preferences which was, I assume, for your parents to get along and not get divorced, right? I mean, that would be better and easier and all that. Uh, like, it sort of reminds me, I, I very very clearly remember the day, uh, November of 1977, the day that I was looking out the window of my flat in London going to Canada, and we put everything in boxes and, and everything was packed and I just remember sitting there saying, well, I guess we're going to Canada now. But no sense of like, should we go? Should we not go? I mean, I'd heard about it and, and all of that, and I knew we were going. But I very much felt like a leaf on a stream, you know, like just any way the current flows, any way the wind blows, I can't affect anything. So you just kind of, exactly. you go rubber bones, right? You just like, okay, well, we're getting divorced. I can't do anything about it. No one's going to listen to me. Nobody's going to, you know, I mean take heed of, of, of my preferences and my perspectives. So, okay, yeah. I guess. And so your emotions get disconnected. Like where we can't affect things, generally our emotions tend to get disconnected. And so the reason I'm 
spending a bit more time on this is because of the lack of enthusiasm, right? Yeah. Well, enthusiasm yeah. is power. Enthusiasm is control. The, the, yeah. the, the two, the, if you don't have any authority, if you don't have any, if your will has no rubber meets the road scenario, if you can't affect change in your environment, then you're going to become uh, listless. You're going to become inert. Like I'm a very enthusiastic person now, but I wasn't as a kid. Why? Well, what's the point? I mean, exactly, I'm just, yeah. I just go from, I mean, I, I move from one place to another. Uh, I'm, I'm at home and then my mom gets hospitalized and I go to my aunt's place and then I go to boarding school and then the family runs out of money for boarding school. So then I go to this school and then, oh, now we're going to Canada. And like, there's no, nobody ever asked me. Nobody said, what do you want or what's your preference or anything like that. So it's, you know, I mean, even my dad, my dad is a big letter writer. He used to write me letters like every week. I could never read them. Like this, this crazy chicken scratch, like it was really, really, I remember he sent them from Africa. I still remember to this day, Tweed Vu, second fold, right? That's Afrikaans, I think, uh, <laughs> on the on the envelope. But I, you know, and I, I said to my mom, like, can you get dad to write me in, in like letters that I can understand? Because uh, yeah. I, I just could not puzzle out. It was like hieroglyphics trying to puzzle out the man's handwriting. Gosh. And he was a big letter writer. He said he collected people like some people collect postage stamps, which I did not find sinister at all. But even things like, can can we get dad to write me letters that I can actually read? Like, is that, is that, be, and like, nothing changed. Yeah, yeah. But I always wondered about your dad because you never speak of him. Uh, not quite true. Uh, not quite true. No, it's, uh, but, uh, it's rarely. It's rare, like, yeah. It's rare. But yeah. I'm just talking about the uh, can you affect change in your environment? Now, I mean, it's one of the things that as a parent, you know, if you've got a green thumb and you you want to make sure that your little fruit trees do well, then you, you, you get them stakes. You, you can paint that white stuff around them that keeps bugs off and stuff. Like you, you nurture that. And when it comes – to my parenting, one of the things that I, because I recall and have processed my childhood pretty well, I'm very aware that I want to make sure that my daughter's willpower has traction, right? And, and you know, not so much that she's a bully, which she's not, but I want to make sure that if she doesn't like something or doesn't want to do something, we always sit down and have a discussion. It's never like, we'll just do it. Never. Like, never, right? And, and, I, and that's good. Uh, that's good, uh, I think, and because enthusiasm, and she's a very enthusiastic person, enthusiasm has to do with control, and if you don't have control as a kid, you go rubber bones, right? Yeah, yeah, that's that's exactly, I think, what I did was I just, um, I didn't, I mean, if I didn't have control over something, I, I didn't feel the need to react either way. Yeah, why bother? And, uh, it's just painful. Yeah, and I and it was a way for me. Like looking back now, I've I've had a lot of time, obviously, to reflect on this. It was a way of self-preservation, right. um, for me to just shut down. And one of the things that I remember is that um, when my parents were still together, I um, my dad used to get angry quite a bit uh, when I was little at just like little things here and there, and. I can see now why it was, you know, probably because of stress with work and stress with his marriage. And uh, I would just kind of like, No. See, I mean, now, now you're stripping agency from your dad, right? And and I'm aware that the son we're orbiting in this conversation is for you to find a way to reconcile with your dad to some degree or whatever, however much is possible. Yeah. But you can't 
I don't think you can blame something like stress as to why. Like, there's lots of people who have stress in their life. There's lots of stresses in life. And it, there's not a big button that, that says, I'm now going to be negative or abusive or destructive or negligent because of stress, right? Yeah. Right? There's, there, there's, there, there is a willpower. And if you view your father, in a sense, as, as subject to the whims of fate as you were as a child, the problem is if you don't give him agency, there's nothing to connect with in his hospital bed right now. Like if he's just, uh, well, there was stress and he's like a pinball, bing, bing, bing. Okay. If the stress and, and that's why he did what he did, but then you don't have a relationship with your father who made choices. You have a relationship with someone who was a dim shadow cast by the statue of stress. Does that, does that make any sense? That makes in a whole lot of sense. Um, well, and you don't want that principle that says human beings react in destructive ways to stress. That's exactly what I was just going to touch on. Um, when my father would be upset with me when I was little, I would um, I, I would do this impulsively without even thinking. I would, at night, when I would go to bed, I, I would sit in my room and I would take my fingernails and I would scratch up and down my legs and just cry. And I would do that alone. And that was that like, was it, it was a way of me dealing with stress. Hmm. Right. This is when I was really, really little. No, no, but like, that's, that's a, I mean, that's close to cutting, right? In a, in a way, right? So that's, oh, yeah. that's right. not exclusively, though, largely, to my knowledge, a, a female way of dealing with, with trauma or, or difficulty is this kind of self-punishment. Men may do it in ways that are sort of Chad risky, you know, like uh, Jason Priestley sports car racing kind of stuff. But, um, <laughs> yeah. Or just other kinds of dangerous um, situations, but uh, yeah, that is a bit of a uniquely female way, uh, which is to to self attack physically. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I remember it was really strange. I I, I just thought about that when you said, um, you know, how people deal with stress and and things like that. It's like, oh, you know, when when I would be stressed when I was a child. Um, or my dad, it, it was mainly when my dad got angry with me is that I would, I would do that. And, um, cause like, I remember the only thing I wanted when I was little was for my dad to be proud of me. And if I ever disappointed him, I would just, I'd fly off the hinges, but I would do it by myself. I would do it at night when, when there was no one around. So the desire to please your father in this way where do you think it, uh, it it came from? I mean, you can say that there's a natural tendency for kids to want that as a whole and all that, but but this seems to have been exacerbated or or stronger than average in your situation. If that's if that's if I understand it correctly. Yeah, yeah. Um, I I always thought that if I made my dad happy, that he would spend more time with me. Ah, uh, right. And that's that's kind of how it ties in to where like I thought he was, you know, with him, you know, spending however long at work all the time and then he you know, he wouldn't have time to spend with me. Isn't that interesting? So for you, it's like, okay, if dad enjoyed my company more, he wouldn't spend as much time at work. Yeah. And so if I'm more of a fun kid but there is really a kind of tail wagging the dog desperation in all of that, right? Yeah. 
I'm very sorry that that's a message you got. Do you know if that came from anyone in particular, or was that something that that I want to say you came up with by yourself? Because I mean, it's environmental. But do you know if anyone told you that, or or if your dad ever said, or if there was any way that you had support for that theory as a whole? Um, I I don't think so. I think it was just because. It was never explained to me as a child. I think um, I think my parents treated me like a child. If you know, if you know what I mean, growing up they didn't speak to me like an adult. Um, they didn't say like, well, you know, dad has to go to work because you know he needs to do this in order to be able to support us and 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 things like that. I never, I you know, like if they if they would have sat me down and kind of like explained what was happening but could they you, could they do you think could, could they explain that in other words was it explainable or was your dad a workaholic because he didn't like his home life i don't know i think my dad was my dad's always been a workaholic but whether he liked his home life or not i mean he was just obsessed with what he did there's an oh i i i've i mentioned this on the show before but i can't there was some rich famous guy who's like i'm gonna i'm gonna take it trip around the world on a hot air balloon, right? And yeah. I remember someone writing and saying, oh, okay, we get it. You don't like your wife. Okay, big, big deal, right? And it's like, <laughs> oh, yeah, you know this? A lot of male ambition is driven by unhappiness at home. Because you, at work, you're you're enjoying the job. You have affected, in, in the job, you have positive feedback in the job. You get things achieved at the job. You're valued in the job. Whereas at home, it might just be a crap fest from, you know, dawn till dusk. So, you know, we we naturally gravitate towards our caves of competence. And if, you know, it's one of, one of the challenges with what I do is that my family is so much fun to spend time with. But I, I also have a responsibility to listeners, to donors, to the world. I enjoy philosophy. So um, this this job would be a lot easier if I was unhappily married. Um <laughs> So, uh, yeah, you know, it, yeah, it is, you know, because everything's a competition. Everything competes for our attention, right? Yes, absolutely. Mm, right. Absolutely. Okay. Okay. So, um, you, you, you lived with your mom. Was your dad nearby after the divorce? Did you see him much? I know he was working a lot, but how did that go? Um, so basically, it turned into um, after my parents split up. It turned into um, my dad would have me a week and then my mom would have me a week. And that went on for a few years. Wait a minute, uh, but you said, I'm uh, sorry, don't mean that, right? Yeah, but, this but was. Earlier th- you said, well, the, the courts and my mom and, right? Yeah, it was 50 50? Like, no, it, yeah, it was, it was 50 50 to begin with. And then uh. when I was a teen, um, my, my mom had me the whole time. So. But why? Did she apply for more custody? Did your dad give it up? Or um, I think my dad tried to apply for full custody or at least like more custody. Wait, and, more than uh, half? Yeah. And why Why did he do that? I I don't know, but I'm oh, not sure. Oh, you some idea in terms of how your home life was, right? Yeah. I mean, my, well, my, my mom did drink when I was little. Um, I'm not sure if that had anything to do with it. No, no, something, there's a transition point here that I, uh, you know, maybe we don't have the answer, but I just really want to clearly ask the question. So you said in your teens, uh, was this, er, I assume early teens, like tweens kind of thing? 
Your dad um, went for more custody? No, like, okay, so what, from the age of like seven until about 14, my dad um, went for, I think he tried to go for more than, more than full, more than like half custody. So, oh, so but, for the sort of seven year period, he was trying to get more custody. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And, and then, um, and then from, I think it was like 15, then my mom had me and that was it. Okay. So why was your dad trying to get more than 50 custody? I have no idea. I, I don't know. See, now that might be a good question to ask him. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Because but, um, that, that does show a kind of devotion, right? Uh, a that, desire to yeah. protect, a desire, right? It wasn't, it wasn't the whole time, though. It was right when they first got divorced. All right. So I feel like I'm chasing a bit of a butterfly here. Sorry. You said from, no, it's fine. You said from 7 to 14, but now you're saying it was earlier on mostly? Sorry. Let me be a bit more clear. From 7 to 14, my parents had, had me each for a week. And that, but I remember that my dad was trying to get more custody at the very beginning of that from when uh, okay. I was seven. Okay. Sorry, I was sorry for being so no, unclear. No, that's fine. That's fine. Look, this is this is murky history, and and for those who haven't dug into this kind of history, stuff gets pretty like stuff gets pretty freaky, right? I mean, in yeah. terms of like trying to figure out the timeline and when and and what happened. Like I, I know I went, I spent a summer in Newfoundland with a colleague of my father's who was a marine biologist. And I also went to Africa, and I can't remember if it was 15 or 16. Anyway, so yeah, these things are a little, um, they can be a little baffling. So I, I have no problem with that. I just want to make sure that I'm clear, because right? I need to have the, the maps before before movement, if that makes sense. Yeah, uh, dare, dare I say the maps of meaning before, anyway. Um, oh, oh, good. Good yeah, reference. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> so then when you were 15, you're, you went whole hog with your mom is that right yeah yeah okay um, okay and do you know why that but, changed well there was something in between there so when i was 14 years old um so okay bit of reference my my dad and my stepmom met when i was eight years old and then they got married when i was 10 Hmm. And then I was a bit of a trouble, trouble child, but still doing one week on, one week off. But when I was 14 years old, I don't know what happened, but all of my parents sent me to live with a, um, a family friend. Hello? Yeah, they sent me to live with a family friend out in the middle of nowhere and to do homeschooling. And I did that for, I think, maybe, I don't know, six months or eight months, something. It wasn't a full year. But I remember that I did really well there because it was there. My, my friend had a mom and dad that were still together. And there was like a lot of structure. They lived like on a ranch type of thing. But I remember thinking when I was there, you know, like, why doesn't any of my parents have time for me? type of thing. Oh, because then, he was, your friend was homeschooled as well, right? Yeah, yeah. So parents are spending was, a lot of time with the child, right? Yeah, yeah. And it was it was really nice. And she had horses and like we had to like take care of the horses and like, you know, um, like do stuff around the ranch. And and I did really well there. And, uh, my, and then after that, 
my mom had full custody of me and I rarely saw my dad after that. Huh. And you don't know why you were sent to this ranch? I have no idea. Isn't that... Was there a bad explanation given at the time or you don't remember that either? I think it was like, do you want to go live with your friend? And I was like, yeah, you know, because what, you know, what preteen doesn't want to go live with their friend? Yeah, <laughs> or like, no, I, get it. I get it. You know, so. Yeah, I get it. Um, wow, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, and, and the homeschooling thing is interesting because my daughter was talking to some kid we met about homeschooling and the kid came to me and said, well, why do you want to homeschool? I'm like, I'd miss her too much during the day. Hmm, yeah. That was, that was a tough thing for kids to kind of process, right? Yeah. Because you know that kind of joke, like it's the most wonderful time of the year, which is when the kids are going back to school. It's very cruel. Oh. Very it, is, it is really cruel. Like I, I don't understand why people are like that. When, when I have children, you know, if I can have children, I'm definitely going to homeschool. Oh, yeah. So um, oh, yeah. there is no, I've one. Always, I've always hated this. Um, I can't wait for the kids to go back to school. Well, it's because parents don't have good negotiation skills, so the only way that they can resolve conflicts is to threaten the bond, right? So as long as the kids feel unwanted, then the kids can't fight back, and you can pretend like you've negotiated something. Absolutely, and I and I don't I don't understand that, but I, I mean, I've learned so much about parenting from you that you know it's like oh I I'm definitely you know going to homeschool my children. But um, there is one thing that I did fail to mention, and it was a huge thing. But I seem to have blocked it out of my um, of my brain. So right before I went to go live with my friend, um, I did try to kill myself, uh, and I got pulled out of school, out of normal school, and then uh, I got hello. And sorry, <laughs> that's fine. It's, it's, it could it's be some really, puzzle. Sorry, it's just a really hard memory, and I. Gosh, of course. Sorry, I just I block it out. Do not, I don't, don't apologize. Honestly, it's fine. It's fine. I know. Listen, this is how we assemble the history. It's like, oh shit, there's a jigsaw piece, puzzle piece under the couch, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Sorry. No, Sorry. it's fine. Stop apologizing, please. Um. Okay. So what what happened that led to the, you were fourteen? Is that right? What, what happened that led to the suicide attempt? Um. Well, I I just didn't, I just, I don't know. I felt like a burden. Um, I really felt like a burden to, um, to my family. Um, Was it a burden to both your parents, do you think? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It was a burden to, I felt like a burden to my mom and to my dad and to my stepmom. Because, like, at, at this point in time in my life, like, I felt like my stepmom resented me a lot. Or, like... And I felt like my my dad also resented me, and I felt like my mom just um, I felt like no one had time for me. I felt really alone, and since I was an only child, I um I didn't really have anywhere to talk to. Well, I have, no, I, I mean have, I I sympathize with all of that, but but don't imagine that all the other siblings out there are doing well. I mean, at least 50% of sibling relationships are classified as abusive. So it's not like there are all of these great sibling relationships out there that you just weren't a part of, if that makes any sense. Yeah, yeah. There could have been some. 
Um, and I've certainly seen, you know, among the families that I know, I've certainly seen some great sibling stuff, but um, it's certainly uncommon. But but that having been said, you know, at the time, yeah, you didn't uh, you didn't have anyone to uh, to talk to, right? And 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 my view, in my view, suicide occurs when you feel in your bones that the rest of your life is going to be like today. Yeah, yeah. It it felt like Groundhog Day. Yeah, yeah. Um, all the time, but it was. It was just like I, I never felt like my parents had any time for me. So there was a, there was a period of time um, from when I was like, uh, let's see, like 11 until 13. I had to go to something called the Boys and Girls Club. And I remember I would be the first child dropped off in the morning and the last child picked up at night. And that was, it was like that all the time, like for, for those years. And between my, my dad, my stepmom and my mom, I, it was like, I mean, there's three adults there, you know? And, um, it's like, you know, can not one of them spend time with me? So, and then after, after that, then it was just kind of like, I, I don't even know what happened. Like, going to school, of course, but like, it, I was on antidepressants at the time, and they started putting me on uh, something called Adderall as well. Yeah, I've heard of that. And, uh, and uh, I just, I don't know, I just felt like I was a burden. Well, if no one takes pleasure in your company when you're a child, it is very, very hard to take pleasure in your own company. Exactly. I felt like I felt like everyone always wanted to be away from me and I was, you know, I couldn't escape myself because I'm me and so that was like the only way to get away from myself, I guess. Right, right. And how did you try to kill yourself? I went into the medicine cabinet with at my dad's house and I went into the medicine cabinet at my mom's house and I took a ton of their medicine. Right. Right. And um, I obviously, like, I, they didn't find me unconscious or anything because, like, I don't even know what I took. It was probably just, like, a ton of, like... I don't know, like prescript. It was all prescription drugs because I remember it was in the the prescription bottles. But it was probably something along the lines of like, like out of date amoxicillin and mm-hmm. like God knows what else. But um, like after I did it, like a few days went by, and I was um, my it was actually my stepmom that noticed that I was uh, really unwell. Like I hadn't eaten. And I kept vomiting, and I couldn't hold down any water. And this was like a few days. And then um, she sent me back to my mom's house. And then my mom had the bright idea to take me to the doctor. And the doctors like took my blood, and I didn't say anything. I didn't tell anyone what I did at all. Right. Not even my friends. But then my doctors took my blood, and they said that my kidneys were like failing or I don't know, my, my kidney levels were up really high. So then I had to go 
into the children's hospital and ICU for a few, like for like a week or something. And I remember I was in, I was in the hospital and, um, and my dad came to visit and he came in and started yelling at me saying, did you take peyote? Did you take peyote? And I was just like, no, I don't even know what that is. And, um, and they never found out. Um, I never told any of them what I, what I did. Oh, like, so what do I your parents, uh, you don't know to this day, do you think that, uh, you tried to kill yourself? No. Hmm. Right. Okay. So was it, it was shortly after this that you went to the ranch? Yeah. I see. So they, they may have said, okay, well, something's not right, right? Yeah, yeah. And I think they probably thought that I was doing drugs or something. And in reality, I was just on antidepressants and Adderall. And so they sent me to this ranch. Um, and when, so, did you, when did you start uh, doing the drugs that you mentioned uh, a little while ago? Um, I started like when I was, gosh, really young, 15 after I, after I left the ranch and I started living with my mom. Why did you leave the ranch? Well, my mom moved from the um, the like city that we were in, and she moved to like another city, and I went with her. That doesn't exactly answer the question. I'm sorry. Can you repeat? I sorry. I thought you. You said like one. No, so I mean, I mean, your mom could have moved from one city to the other. Or you could have stayed at the ranch, right? Feasibly, right? Yeah, yeah, but um, I, I, I don't know like the logistics of it. If it was, you know, I'm not sure. I think it was just, I think it was getting too difficult for the family that had me. Um, Why was it getting so, difficult for them? Well, I mean. They had to like room and board another child, and they already had two of their own. <laughs> hmm. Hmm. Are you still in and contact with that family at all? No. Hmm. Well, I wish I was. Them. Yeah, I might be able to find them. Yeah, I mean, these are just interesting questions to to ask, and you know, you never know what happens to people when that knowledge is going to vanish. They get sick, or they get hit by a bus, or something. So. Um, that could be that could be helpful. Okay, so you ended up moving back. Now, then you said you, if I remember rightly, you said you stayed a hundred percent with your mom, and and did you not see your dad much at all? Hardly. Um, right before I started living with my mom, really important bit of information here. Um, right before I started li living with my mom full time, I was at my dad's house, and I was, I remember this so vividly. I was sitting in my room. And I was painting one of those, you know, those bamboo sticks that are used to like hold up plants. Yes. Yeah, I was I was painting one of those like little designs on it, and um, I was sitting on my floor, and I remember my stepmom coming into my room, and I completely unprovoked, she started talking to me about my mother, and I don't know how this came about at all um it could have been like a altercation between her and my mom that I didn't hear but um she came in and, and um I remember her saying that 
my mom was basically um, like, she's she's not a good person, and that she's you know she's leeching off of my dad, and and this and that, and then she said, you're gonna grow up to just be just like your mother, and um, and I remember looking up at her, and I said, I don't give two shits for what you have to say about my mom. And she ripped the bamboo stick out of my hand and whacked me with it. And she told me to get the hell outside. And I tried to go out through the garage door. And she said, no, go out through the front door. So I go out through the front door. And she's, I just go to like walk away. And she grabbed me. And, um, and she grabbed me really hard and I tried to like push her off me and I just said like, let me go. And, um, and then she grabbed me harder. So like my hand ended up on her throat and I just pushed her away and I ran and, um, we lived in a really rural area, but, um, I ran as far as I could and I found a house that had just been vacated Um, And there was like a landline telephone in the house. And I don't don't know if you remember this, but like a long time ago, when you moved, if you had a landline and you wanted it to forward it to your new house, you could do that by leaving the phone hooked up. And so that this, this family had left the phone hooked up in their house and they like no one was in their house. There was nothing in there. And I somehow got inside. And I used the landline to call my mom. And I told my mom what happened. And she's like, she's like, well, I can't come get you. You're going to just have to go back to your dad's house. And I was like, I can't go back to my dad's house. Like she, you know, Jan, or, sorry, uh, my stepmom's there. And, and you know, I, I can't, I can't do it. And she's like, well, I've, you know, I'm out with my friends. I've had a drink. I can't drive. You're just going to have to go back and I'll come and pick you up tomorrow and so I was like trying to remember like my friends like telephone numbers to see if their parents could come and pick me up and I called a few and no one could come and get me and then I called my mom back and she said um she said you know I've spoken to your dad you just have to go back there and so I waited until um nightfall and then I finally um called my dad like my dad's house. And he goes, where are you? You need to come back here. And I was like, I'm not coming back there until my stepmom's gone. And he said, well, she's, she's gone. She's gone to her mom's house because you really upset her. So I went back to my dad's and, um, and I got in and I said, I don't want to talk about it. And he's like, what did you do to her? You know, what happened? What did you say? Like, obviously my stepmom had said, you know, like, Oh, Sarah did this. Sarah did that, and um, and I just told my dad, just drop me off at my mom's house, and he goes, I'll take you there in the morning. And my my dad took me um, to my mom's house, and then I didn't hear from him until after I was sixteen, and um, and uh, he told me. Um, he called me one day and he said, listen, I've been, um, I've been going 
to see a therapist. And I would like to, um, I would like for you to come to a therapy session with me in order to solve this. And I said, okay. And um, he said, Jan, will, or my stepmom will pick you up. And I, and I was like, no. And he said, it's just going to be like a taxi ride. She's not going to say anything to you. And I said, okay, if, if that's what you promised. And he, he swore up and down that's all it would be. And um, I remember this vividly. I lived, this is when I still lived um, in America. And I lived in a place where it didn't rain very often. And I remember this vividly. My stepmom came to pick me up and it started raining. And I got inside of the car and she immediately started driving. And when she started driving, she started just yelling at me. And I just didn't say anything. I didn't say anything. And she kept yelling at me and yelling at me and yelling at me. And I just sat there quietly. And then she pulled up to the freeway entrance. And... Um, and she said, you never respected me or your father. And I jumped out of the car when it was still moving. And I ran across, must have been about like six lanes of an intersection. And I ran into a building. And then um, I had, I, I, um, I asked someone in the building if I could use their phone and I had someone come and pick me up. And then my dad didn't speak to me for like another, I don't know, it felt like an eternity, but it must have been another few months wow. for him to not speak to me. And uh, and that's when I started using drugs. So what do you think the hold was that your stepmom had over your dad? Like for him to choose her over you, so to speak. She, I, I, I don't really know, but I don't really know, but she always would say, oh, Sarah, that's not how it happened. Ha ha. Oh, don't be silly. That's, that's not true. And she would, she would blatantly say that I'm lying without saying that I'm lying whenever I would bring something oh, up. The gaslighting, like you don't, you misremembered or, or whatever, right? Yeah, yeah, and it felt like, I don't want to say it felt, because it kind of diminishes the whole point of it, but it was like, it was like I, I, like I had no say because I was a child. Right. But the problem that I'm having now is because they never gave me agency as a child, they never respected me as a child. They want me to apologize for everything that I did when I was a child, when they made me that way. Wait, who, who, who wants you to apologize? Like now? Yeah, my dad is asking me to apologize to my stepmom now for everything that I did as a child. That's what I mean. And he's saying, well, you better make amends with her quick because she's the executor of the will. And it's almost like he's bribing me and it's so cold. It's probably more of a blackmail than a bribe, but okay. I mean, in terms of like, uh, yeah, because, yeah, yeah. I mean, a, a bribe is usually just to do some kind of favor as opposed to, you know, compromise your entire history. That comes more yeah. out of the threat matrix as far as I'm concerned. 
Okay, so that's <laughs> that's kind of new, uh, and and that to me shades things quite a bit, right? Because the idea that um, you now have to apologize to your stepmom, or you might be cut out of the will. I don't, you know, as far as I mean, I'm no lawyer, but as far as I understand it, your dad can write you into the will and to help with your stepmom, right? Yeah, but that's that's not the point of this. The point of this is that I like there's something that you said in one of your one of your call-in shows and and you said only the person that wounded you can heal you. But if healing I, is possible. Yeah, the healing is possible, but I need her to take responsibility of her actions and I I want like I don't know how to help them understand that my actions as a child was when I was a child. I mean, I wasn't. Do you a think they don't? Kid. Do you think they don't understand that deep down? I absolutely think. I absolutely know that they don't understand that. Well, what do you mean? I mean, you know them better than I do, so I, I apologize for sounding incredulous. But are you sure that they don't know that a child has less responsibility than an adult, and that? The environment of the child has a lot to do with how the child turns out and and that parents shape the environment of the child to a significant degree. Well, parents shape the environment of the child almost 100%, right? You say, oh, it's a school. Yeah, well, the parents choose to put the kid in school or whatever, right? So, Funny you should say that. My stepmom was a teacher. Yeah. Oh, oh, wait. I failed to mention something really important. Mm. My stepmom and my dad, they are boomers. I'm going to try not to get dragged into the stereotype because um, I think everyone knows about my sort of thoughts about the boomers. But um, Oh, I, I know. But yeah. that's, I mean, it's just to give you a bit more of a more rounded understanding of the type of, like, mind thought that they have, you know? Right. Okay. And so, uh, yeah, I, I don't believe that uh, they, I don't, I mean, unless they're really mentally compromised. There's, I mean, what sane person says that the child is primarily responsible. Now, they may say, oh, yes, but when you were a teenager, a different matter, blah, 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 right? They didn't even have anything to do with my teenage years. I ran away. Well, yeah. <laughs> my, my, my mom left America, and she sent me back to live with my dad. And I was there for three days, and I ran away. And I never went back. Right. Right. Okay. So that's how have things been with your dad it. as an adult? That like you're an adult. Well, after after like I quit using drugs, um, like I I made somewhat of an amends with him, um, and like tried to make a bit more, like you know, be in his life a bit more. But uh, I remember one time, like, I, um, like, it, she just, like, my stepmom has always just stood in the way of me trying to spend time with my dad. But um, I remember I was, how I, I was 22 years old, and I had ran away when I was 17. And in America, you, like, have to stay with your parents until you're 18, yeah. you know, I ran away when I was 17 and I never ever like asked for like, even when I started talking to my dad again, I never asked for money, never asked for help, nothing. And, um, 
and I remember I was 22 years old and, and like I'd been living on my own this whole time, like, and, you know, and I had this, I had this boyfriend and he was just a, a, a piece of work. And, um, he, you know, he used to abuse me and stuff. And, um, and then finally he, um, like the, basically the straw that broke the camel's back type of situation. And I packed up all of my belongings into my, my pickup truck and I was living out of my truck. And, um, and I didn't tell, I didn't tell my parents about, about him or what happened or anything like that. I just, I, I came to them one day, you know, um, and I, and I, and I asked my dad, I said, I said, Hey, do you think it'd be okay if I, if I rented a room and, um, you know, and, and I'll pay rent, I'll go grocery shopping, I'll cook for you guys. I'll pick up your medication. Like I'll, I'll do stuff around the house. I'll, you know, I'll help you out. And, um, my stepmom turns and looks at me and she says, are you kidding? When I was your age, I had a house by now. What kind of 22-year-old still lives with their parents? Mm -hmm. So I continued to live out of my truck and continued to shower at the gym and, <laughs> you know, and go to work until I could get my own place. Right. After getting out of a really abusive relationship. So there was that. Wow. But I never... And that was the thing that I specified in the email that I told her exactly what happened. And I said, your words really hurt me and they've stuck with me and they've made me be so, so hard on myself because of those words. Like um, I own my own business now in another country that I didn't grow up in. And I mean, I started my whole life over and I'm, I still don't feel that I'm doing well enough for myself because of her words, because of the way that she treated me in that instant. And I told her that recently, actually the other day when she called to tell me about my dad being in the hospital and having preliminary embolism. And, and, and she, her response was, well, we've both done things to each other in the past that have hurt each other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mistakes were made. Who's who's going to differentiate, right, between the parent and the child? Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. So let me ask you this. So if you were hearing this, these terrible tales, I mean, massive sympathy. If you were hearing these terrible tales from somebody else, what odds, and, and you had to bet on whether reconciliation was possible, how much money would you bet and what do you think the odds would be? Between the father? Between, yeah, the father and you, or the father and the daughter. don't know, maybe 50-50. And what would be the evidence that you would say it's 50-50? Benefit of the doubt and willingness to, you know, to reconcile. Okay, so what um, what evidence is there that the father is willing to reconcile? Well, as far as I've told you, not much. But uh, I no, haven't no, told no, you. Not much is not much is is pretty loosey goosey. Give, give me specifics, if you don't mind, right? What 
specific evidence is there that the father is willing to take ownership, but take responsibility, apologize, and and actually reconcile? I'm not sure. I I don't yeah, know are. if I. No, you you are you are sure. Based upon what you've told me, and you said there's more, and I'm, I'm happy to hear more, but based upon what you've told me, what evidence is there that the father is willing to reconcile? Or well, do what is necessary that, for reconciliation to occur? Well, the fact that the father is in the hospital after almost dying twice, there might be some possibility. No, that's circumstantial. I mean, okay. evidence that is uh, based upon the father's will or, or decision. Has the father shown any inclination or, or uh, thawing of the heart that would lead one to believe that reconciliation, uh, earned reconciliation might be on the table? It's It's hard for me to say because... I mean, my dad's been in contact with me through these few weeks that he has been in the hospital and just been constantly telling me how much he misses me, how much he loves me, how proud he is of me. He's telling me all the things that I wish I would have heard growing up. Okay. But he's doing it now. He's doing it now, yeah. Which, you know, I mean, that that's that can happen, right? That, that somebody can have a change of heart uh, later on in, in life and can realize that he made mistakes and so on. So he's telling you that he's proud of you and, and you know, that's all nice to hear. Um, is there anything... Um, uh, sorry, I should put this. Is there anything that he said that he's proud of you of that has changed on, on your side of things? In other words, you know, you, you, cured, you cured cancer and so I was proud, if that makes any sense, right? Um. He just keeps telling me that he's proud of the woman that I've become. Um, some of his messages have said, you know, I know that, you know, I wasn't the best parent and this and that. And, uh, you know, but uh, he's happy that I've been able to make something out of myself after going through all of the trauma that I've been through in my life. And he's really happy to see me see me all grown up and doing really well for myself and and everything that's i mean he's he's saying all the things that i wish that he would have said to me growing up right right okay now so what's interesting to me about that is that he knows what you want and he's known for a long time right yeah like i assume you haven't given him a list of things that you want him to say no. Right. So he's known, I assume, now that he's saying what you. So he's known what you've wanted for a long time, right? And he's yeah. withheld it from you, right? I think it's fair to say, for a long time. Yeah. And now he's giving it to you. So I mean, it's, it's good that you're hearing this, but if he's always known what you've wanted, but he's withheld it, that makes me a little concerned. If that makes sense. Yeah, but he's saying this through text message, obviously, without my stepmom being able to read it. Right. 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 And what else would you say in this scenario about what evidence there might be for a capacity to reconcile? 
I don't know. Tell me your ideal reconciliation scenario. My ideal reconciliation scenario would be my both my father and my stepmom telling me that their actions towards me weren't ideal and that they're sorry that they didn't, you know, put more effort into actually raising me. Right. And that, you know, I, 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 I just want, I want them to take responsibility for their actions. Like if they were to just say like, look, I'm sorry for, for, you know, not being there when you needed me the most, I'm sorry for not being able to, you know, be as, a loving parent for you to speak to, you know, about like wanting to kill yourself or anything like that. I'm, I'm sorry for, you know, thinking that drugs would help you when you're seven years old. Mm. You know, I'm, I'm sorry that I hit you, you know, with a bamboo stick and, you know, threw you outside. I'm, I'm sorry for not speaking to you on your 16th birthday I'm sorry for yelling at you and saying that you've never respected me. You know, I'm, I'm sorry for yelling at you like my on my dad's side. I would want him to say that he's sorry for yelling at me when I was younger, and because uh, that really, you know, as as you know, put, yelling at your child really puts a barrier between between them, and that would be the ideal scenario. And for them to acknowledge that my actions as a child were exactly a reaction from them from the way that they treated me right okay okay that's all i want i don't want anything of, of his will i just i just want him to i want him to know who i am and i want i want him to know i want them to know like what they did right so I've tell me what you feel now about. Like, Sorry, tell me what you're feeling now about this. Because I can't see you. I just I, I can hear it in your voice. You feel you feel very strongly about this, right? Sorry. No, no, don't apologize. No, please don't apologize for feeling strongly. It would be crazy if you didn't, right? Yeah. Um, I'm just. I'm feeling really scared. Um. I feel worried and anxious. <laughs> and I feel these things because I, I, I feel these things because I don't feel any hope that it's, that it would happen. But there's also like one tiny sliver of me that has a wish, <laughs> you know, that has like a Jiminy cricket. A conscience that that knows that it could be possible if I just said it did the right things to them for for them to understand. Right. Who have you harmed in your life? Do you think? Um, I've 
harmed thing. I hurt an ex-boyfriend of mine. Um, uh, I've I've hurt a friend before. Right. And we all have. So, I mean, this is not like, ooh, you know, bad you. I mean, we all have, right? Yeah. Um, I know ahead. I've harmed I've harmed myself a lot. Mm-hmm. Well, no, but others, others, right? Yeah. Now, when you hurt others, how do you feel? Oh God, I feel awful. Right. I'm sure you do, because you have a conscience. That's right. I have a Jiminy Cricket. So you have a Jiminy Cricket. You have a conscience, right? Yeah. Do you think people without a conscience can uh, grow one? Are we speaking just in general? Or yeah, in, like general. On a, in general. Okay. Because I'm thinking like on a psychology level here. Um, no, that's, I mean, that's, that's fine. Either way. Or you could say more personally, have you ever known someone without a conscience to grow one? I've never known anybody without a conscience. I don't think. I'm not sure about that. Well, my stepmom? Well, and your father married her, right? And and supported her and stayed with her for his, you know, significant portions of his adult life, right? Yeah. So, what evidence do you have that your stepmom has a conscience? And again, I'm I'm not trying to like leading. Oh, there's no evidence. Like I'm genuinely curious what evidence you have that your stepmom has a conscience. I I don't. I I mean, she likes animals and like. <laughs> Oh, like Hitler, she, Hitler she liked still, animals, right? I mean, that could be camouflage, right? And also, yeah. she might like animals because they don't challenge her morally. Yeah, and I mean, she was a school teacher, but they don't. Kids don't challenge her morally. She, oh, she has sense. authority, right? I mean, exactly. So. I, I, you know, what, um, so the the question then would be: So, what evidence do you have that your stepmom feels bad about things, gets upset about hurting people? It bothers her. She feels she, you know, has to make amends, make things better. Like, what evidence do you have about you know the sort of typical things that you'd have with a conscience? Well, I think there was something ha- something happened um, with her and her mother. They. I think they had an argument about something and then her and her mom didn't speak. And then right after that, her mom passed away and she felt bad about that. So there's... No, but that's her needs, right? That's her needs. Like she she didn't get the closure. I mean, for other people, right? Have you ever seen her uh, or or heard her talk about, you know, I did this thing that hurt someone. I really, really feel bad. You know, I really want to make it better and and sort it out and, you know, help the other person feel better and all that stuff. I don't remember her saying anything like that. Right. And and certainly with regards to you, is there any 
evidence that she has even felt bad about the way she's treated you over the years? No. Right. Okay. Do you think it's possible for somebody with a conscience to be in a long-term marriage or romantic relationship with somebody who doesn't have a conscience? That's a tough question. Yeah. Because I know my dad has a conscience because he's told me that he feel, he feels bad about some of the things that's that's happened to me and some of the things that he's done to me. But did he feel that, did he say that before he got sick? Yeah, okay. yeah. Okay, good. And what was the um, circumstances that caused or, or provoked that conversation? Uh, I think the first time he spoke to me um, after I ran away from home and uh, after like I got my life together and I got clean from drugs and got a job and got a place of my own. So after you got to shore, he kind of gave you a life raft? Pretty much. Yeah. When you wanted to come and stay with your dad and your stepmom after you left the abusive relationship with the boyfriend and your stepmom basically said no, did your father fight for you at all, do you know? No. Why do you think that was? I don't know. Um, I have no idea. What would you theorize? Because she, I don't know, she runs the ship, I guess. Yeah, he's scared of her, right? Yeah. Right. Why do you think he stayed with her? Because he didn't want another failed marriage. Well, as far as wanting another failed marriage or failed relationship, failed relationship, right? I mean, that would be you, right? His relationship with you. Yeah. Right. If he didn't want a failed relationship, then why would he marry this kind of woman? Like knowing it's permanent forever kind of thing. I don't know. He didn't want a failed relationship with her, but I mean, I don't know. In my in my mid-twenties, I remember I, uh, I tried to kill myself again by means of something a bit more violent, and I ended up in the hospital, and he didn't even come see me. Um, what, what happened that was more violent with your suicide? Oh God, I, I, um, I took a lot of really strong SSRIs. I drank copious amounts of alcohol and I took a lot of benzodiazepines and sliced my wrists. Wow. wow. And do you, what provoked that? Was that the boyfriend? No, no, that, no. Um, I was living on my own at the time. And um, I had just gotten fired from a job and I called my dad because I wanted advice and I wanted a perspective as to why I was fired. And, um, and he yelled at me and so I called my boyfriend at, at, at the time and 
I told him what happened and I asked him for a perspective on why I was fired and he yelled at me and that's when I did that but uh, the boyfriend at the time actually had a key to my apartment and um, he found me unconscious on the floor covered in blood and piss and he told my he called my dad um, when it happened told him I was in the hospital and my that was it and that was sorry just I just got a little confused between your dad and your boyfriend that was the result of your dad yelling at you it was it was a conglomeration of things really like I I I was on antidepressants at the time that were making me suicidal. I'd just gotten fired from a job. I, my boyfriend at the time wasn't let me, letting me see like any friends or anything. And like my dad yelling at me, my boyfriend yelling at me. And like, it was just a whole bunch of things just came piling down. And I just, I didn't want to deal with it anymore. Right. So there, there's great danger when people abuse you, right? In that you could internalize it and you can become suicidal, or at least that's the case in the past, right? Yeah. Right. So this is, you know, this is my concern about trying to achieve some sort of uh, closure with your dad, right? Which is that if you end up being manipulated or bullied or controlled or abused further, right? That this could put you into this kind of spiral, right? This is a risky, this is like an extreme sport, so to speak, right? Yeah. Well, that got that voice got very small. What do you mean? What happened when I said that? Well, no, you're right. But I mean, I would never. I'm. I'm a bit. I'd like to think I'm a bit wiser now, and you know, I I wouldn't do something like that again. All right. Now you said you've said a couple of times something that I you say that I had said, and you know, people I mean, have done forty five hundred shows, right? So I don't know the context yeah. or whatever, but you said something like around that I've said that the, only the people who, who hurt you can heal you. Yeah. If that makes sense. Uh, that's something. Yeah. Now, what does that mean to you? Like, let's say I said that. Let's say that it, it applies to this situation, right? What does that What does that mean to you? That means that in order to, like, be healed, I, I need closure from, from my dad. So your dad is in control of your healing. And, and my stepmom, yeah. Right. Now, I, whatever I said that you got, yeah, that is not what I meant. I mean, do I you think, do you think that my context. mom is in control of whether I'm a healthy person or a healed person or not? No, absolutely not. Right. She hurt me, right? Is my dad yeah. in control of whether I'm a healthy person or not? No. 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 No, he's not. So... Again, I, I, I don't want to try and parse what I m- may have said or under what context or whatever. But I'll tell you this. You should in no way, shape, or form ever put your mental health in the hands of abusive people. Ever. It should never yeah. be that you are reliant for healing upon the whims and positive responses of people who have in the past proven themselves to be destructive, neglectful, abusive, manipulative, you name it, right? Because you lose control, right? I mean, if, if my Absolutely. mental health and peace of mind and stability was dependent upon my mom's, my mom growing a conscience, I have no control over my life or my thoughts. Does that make sense? 
that makes that makes a lot of sense yeah so uh, you know whatever whatever i did say i just really want to be clear that i do not want you or or anyone who listens to this to get out of what i said that your happiness and closure and peace of mind is dependent upon people growing a conscience yeah i i am um, i understand what you what you mean entirely i think i think one of the problems is that like like i'm encased in like other people's perceptions of me a lot of the times um so when people think negatively of me especially people that i love um i i tend to kind of like internalize that sure and we all do I, no, that that's the price of love Right, yeah. that, that the price of love is it really matters what people think of you, which is why I I urge people to be as stingy as humanly possible with the word love. Right, you you've you've heard me a million times on these shows. Right, say somebody says, "But I love my mom." I say, "Is yeah," and then you ask, "What morals and values do they have?" Yeah. So, because when you say you love someone, you give them carte blanche to your self-esteem, to your heart, to your sense of identity to your happiness to your stability right love is like a key to the city of of who you are yeah so do you love your stepmother no do you love your mother yeah do you love your father yeah and what virtues and i'm not talking about like stuff that happened over the last year or two right but what virtues as a child, because they're your parents, right? So their primary relationship with you would be as parents to your childhood. What virtues did they display when you were a child that would cause the involuntary response called love? Well, my my father was... Um, he did try to help me with homework when I was little. Um so, like, the effort that he put in towards that, I would consider a virtue. Um, the virtue of making the sacrifice of spending time with his family in order to take care of them. I would consider that a virtue. Sorry, the, 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 the virtue of not spending time with his family? In order, you said to spend time with his family in order to take care of them. And the, I remember yeah. the 5 a.m. thing that he left. So Yeah. Yeah. Like, like working, like sacrificing today in order to build a better future type of thing oh so he worked and, and he paid bills and so on right yeah okay. yeah all right in order to like keep a roof over our head and stuff um but but um, then he got divorced from your mom which kind of put put waste to that to some degree right yeah okay so what else yeah um when i would ask my dad for advice this is in, you know, in um, later years, so in, in my 20s. Whenever I would ask my dad for advice, he would give me as thorough and thought-out advice as possible. Um, and he would really give me his time that way um, in order to help me and help me outweigh situations. So as an adult, he gave you good advice? Yeah. And did you listen yeah. to his good advice? Absolutely. And well, how did he have the authority to give you good advice given the woman he married? 
Well, two, I guess, right? I mean, yeah. one relationship failed catastrophically in terms of a divorce, and another one failed catastrophically in that there wasn't a divorce. Yeah. Yeah. There, that is true. And there's there's one thing that, bit of advice that, like, always resonated with me, which is why I've never been married and which is why I don't have children, is he always told me never depend on a man. So that was one of the like Wait, shittiest bits of advice that's, ever. That's terrible advice, right? It really is, especially to a young woman. So like, I worked my ass off. To, yeah, like, women build get a lot of business. that garbage these days. It, you know, they really do. I really wish that my dad would have like urged me more to like find a nice young man and like, you know, get married at a good age and actually be able to have kids rather than you know, being a 33-year-old woman with a really good aspiring business, no children, and endometriosis. <laughs> right. Well, sorry about that, uh, by the way. Yeah, that's rough. That's really rough. It's all right. Okay, so I guess then there's just one question I have, which is if your father gave you good advice and you listened to his good advice, why was your life such a mess in your 20s? Well, I always asked him for advice about work because that is what I knew that he did best. Oh, okay, okay. So it was work advice, obviously not dating or life or love or children yeah. or marriage or family advice. Okay, okay. Not not real world advice because he, he's not common sense type of guy. He's work ethic type of guy. Okay, okay. So um, he paid some, he paid the bills, he helped you with homework and he gave you some good business advice. Yeah. And what else? Um, when I was really little and I would have bad days this is when I was doing the week on week off thing this is before like I think it was before he met my stepmom um, he would make my lunch every day and he would write a little note in there on like one of those sticky notes and tell me you know don't have a bad day you have to think positively and you know keep your head high and make sure you do this assignment and this and that. And um, so um, he would do things like that to try and like brighten my day. And that's like a really fond memory. I, I consider that a virtue because it made me feel a lot less alone. Right. Right. Now, if you stack those positives, I'm not going to disagree that they're positives. If you stack those positives up against the negatives, do you end up with a net positive or a net negative? Definitely a net negative, I guess. You guess? Yeah. Well, you're going to need to do more than guess, right, for this conversation, right? Because this is yeah, kind of a decisive yeah. conversation, right? So if we if you fog out too much, you won't get any much out of it, right? Yeah. Um. So if you were to hear this from someone else... Would you say that that's enough to generate love? Gosh, it's hard. It's really hard to say. Because I want to say, yes, that's enough to generate love because a daughter always needs a dad. Uh, yeah, but you're, I mean, you're in your 30s, right? Yeah. I mean, 
you're never going to you're never going to get the dad you needed when you were a child right <laughs> i mean it's sad but it's true right i'm i'm yeah. never going to be mothered as a child the way that i should have been mothered i'm never going to have a father like i'm never going to have a father let's say that my father turns into a wonderful guy calls me tomorrow and so on it's like yeah but i'm you know, i'm almost 53 years old you know, like, yeah, know. that's great. You know, I mean, hey, I'll come change your diapers, son. It's like, uh, you're either too, way too late or hopefully way too early, right, for, for that for that duty, right? But you, yeah. you're never going to have the dad that you needed when you were growing up because you're an adult now. And that's part of the mourning, right? And one of the ways that we try to avoid that kind of mourning, the sadness, the grief, is we pretend that we can somehow get it fixed later or now. Or, you know, if he turns into a great guy now, that's going to make a childhood better. But it's not. It's not. Yeah. It's not. It's not. I know. The problem is, is that we always think we have time. Well, no, but see, it doesn't matter if your dad recovers tomorrow and lives for another 30 years and turns into a great guy. You still will never have had the father you needed when you were a child because you're not a child anymore. Yeah, I know. I know. Like that, that grieving process, you know, my concern is that you're holding on for a better dad as a way of avoiding that it, it's it's never going to happen at the time you needed it. Yeah. You know, it's, it's the old thing, like if you were malnourished as a child, then getting more food later doesn't help. In fact, it makes yeah, it, it worse. Yeah, it doesn't cancel it out. <laughs> it doesn't, you know, oh, I could have been six inches taller, you know. Yeah. Or like what Tom Wood said about his weight gain, you know, because he felt a little short. He's like, well, I'll just eat and I'll get bigger. It's like, but he just got wider, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. By the way, people should yeah, listen to Tom true. Woods. I just want to put that pitch in there. But but no, <laughs> this is, this is the, the core, right? So if, if you're trying to avoid the grieving of like, you know, it's never going to happen. I'm never going to be one year, two year, five years, 10 years, 15 years. I'm never going to be that child, that teenager, and get what I need. Never going to happen. Yeah. And you are never going to ha get the father that you needed. No matter what happens, right? And if you are trying to find a way to avoid that, by then you're just giving your dad power at the moment. And this is my concern, is that your dad knows what you need. That's why I mentioned that earlier, that he knows what you need. He knows that you hunger for his approval and his, right? Yeah. And listen, it's not that uncommon. My mom would say repeatedly that she admired me enormously because I basically raised myself. She used to say repeatedly, you did it all by yourself. You did it by yourself. My mom used to say that to me too. Your mom? Yeah. Right. Right. And um, unfortunately, that's just my mom's way of avoiding the damage she did. I, I didn't do it by myself. I did it in the face of vicious and violent abuse. Like, it was not an isolated incident, me raising myself. I wasn't, no. uh, I wasn't alone in the woods, right? That would have been Gosh. better. <laughs> right? would have been it better. Was... I wouldn't be trapped with a violent woman, right? That sounded like nervous laughter, Stefan. I'm sorry. I said that sounded like nervous laughter. Yeah, I'm, I, I will. I will. I will thoroughly accept that. Yeah, thank you for pointing that yeah. out. So, but hey, like, I'm sorry about what your mom did to you. I appreciate that, and it's fair to to point out, right? But it, 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 this this 
so the parents who are are, are, are are mean or vicious or neglectful, they will often, you know, oh, I admire what you did all by yourself. It's like, no. I mean, if 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 I'm walking along carrying a donkey on my back, like Life of Brian style, and people say, you know, you're a good walker. You know, you're just walking all by yourself. It's like, no, I do actually have a donkey on my back. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. So for me, once, so the question is, okay, so I just talk about myself, right? Because I don't want to tell you your experience with your dad. But for me, it's like, okay, what do I need from my mom? Well, primarily what I need from my mother was for her to have been a good mother when, when I was young. But once I became an adult, that need passed away. Yeah. Right? Uh, rationally, I mean, she she couldn't. There's no time machine, and right, there's no no way to go back and and fix what was broken early. And so then the question is, okay, well, what do I need for my mom as an adult? But once you accept that, if you've reached adulthood with abusive or neglectful or dysfunctioning parenting, dysfunctional parenting, then what do you need from your parents as an adult? Well, the answer for me was. Well, not much. Yeah. Not much. Yeah. You know, it's it's like, it's like what they say about banks, right? Like like when you're drowning at sea, they ignore you. When you make it to shore, they bury you in life jackets, right? Absolutely. So once you make it to adulthood, so so that's one phase of things, right? Once you make it to adulthood. Now, for me, knowing, you know, my mom got older and, and all of that, and I tried giving her money and I tried being supportive that way, and, you know, I gave her, Lord knows how much money, a lot, right? It just got, Jeez. just went into masses and lawsuits that never went anywhere and stuff. I was actually fueling her um, cruelty to the world, but yeah. so then the problem is, so then the phase comes along where my mom gets old and needy, right? Now, when my mom gets old and needy, she needs things from me. Now, if my mom starts apologizing for things that she did when she was younger, when she needs things from me, I took that actually, that was nasty. It was a nasty thing to do because it proved to me that she knew what I needed all along. Yeah, so she would apologize to you in order to get something? Yeah, yeah, for sure. When when parents, so, so there's two phases, right? Can you fix it when the child is a child? Great. If you can't fix it when a child is a child, then they become an adult. It's like, okay, well, what do I need you for? Right? What do I need you for? I don't need you to change my diapers. I don't need you to pay my bills. I don't need you to teach me the ways of the world. I'd like whatever, right? Because you know, no credibility. So then, when parents get old, they need things, right? They need things from yeah. me. And there's, I mean, the, the the two things that they need are material and psychological, right? So the thing that the things that they need from you materially is they need you to come and and help them out and, and maybe wipe their butts and pay their bills and, and you know, all, all of the stuff that comes from taking care of, of aging relatives and, and frail and, el- like, el- like all that kind of stuff, right? So they need the material yeah. stuff. Now, the material stuff they can conceivably get from other people or the government or, or private people if they have money like nurses' aides or whatever, right? So that's that's what they need materially. But, you see, when they start looking at that big black doorway of death, right, there's the, the conveyor belt, is, is, is pushing them closer, then they start to feel bad, right? They start to feel bad. Yeah. And then what they do is they will start to say the things that are designed for you to make them feel better. Right? So, 
So when they start, still about that. No, wait. So so when they realize their own mortality, that's when they will come back to you to apologize. Hmm. No, I don't think it's to apologize. Or, or to to kind of like say the things that you know you always wanted to hear. Yeah. 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 So that so that they draw you back into their orbit and they gain control over you by giving you something that you've always wanted. Another kind of drug. Dear God, I, I, you know what? I'm not like it's that conscious. So much, it's no, this makes so much more sense. Tell me, this tell me what, what's, what's connecting for you. Tell me. That's exactly what's happening. Like, I, I thought, you know, my dad felt like he's facing his own mortality and stuff, and. He's, I've, I've been, you know, calling the hospital every day and, um, and, uh, it's caught, it's costing me, I mean, a lot of money that I don't really have at the moment to, to call overseas and, and, uh, been calling to make sure that he's okay. And like, I've been talking to my stepmom and, you know, trying to like, you know, ha ha and he he about this and that small talk type of bullshit to like, you know, make sure that he's okay and, and doing all of this. And then he's texting me saying, saying, Oh, I, I wish my Sarah Barra was here to give me a hug. And, and like, and, and, you know, like, I'm really proud of you and I love you so much. And, you know, like, it's, it's so amazing to see that young woman that you've become and, and this and that. And yeah, it's the, uh, it's saying, the love bomb. Yeah. 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 And it's like, and like I, I feel overwhelmed because I'm like, I'm like, oh my god, you know, my dad's saying all of these things. He's saying, you know, the one thing that I've, you know, worked myself and my ass for my my whole adult life is for him to be proud of me. I've I've done all of this, you know. I've moved to a different country. I've built up my my business, and you know, I've done everything that I possibly could for him to just say that he's proud of me and he's doing that now. And it's like, but it's he's really he something. Yeah, exactly. He's like, yeah. he's given me enough rope to hang myself with. No, no, no. Let's not use those analogies. If you don't mind oh, <laughs> given sorry. your history, if that's all right. If you just don't, oh. don't make me goosed with this kind of stuff. <laughs> I, I, can, okay, okay. I can assure you yeah, yeah, that I'm right. a sound mind now. <laughs> okay. All right. So the, the clue for me here is, is the will is the money. Yeah. Right. Cause he needs something from you, and what's he doing? He's dangling money. Yeah. So how is this not just manipulation? How does this not just undo all of the praise and the I love you and I'm so proud of you and finding women and all that, right? Yeah. If he wanted to make sure you got money, then he'd spend a little bit less time on the phone with you and his wife and a little bit more time on the phone with his lawyer. Right, because he can draft it such that you get whatever portion he thinks that you deserve. And right now, what he's doing is he's passing control from himself to his wife yeah. over you. Oh, she's the executor of the will, right? Yeah. So now, the worst thing, I, if I understand your story, and correct me if I'm astray, but the worst thing just about that happened to you was being under the control of your stepmom. 
that, yeah. So what is your father doing? He's setting things up so that your worst fucking nightmare reemerges from the fucking swamp. Which is now you are dependent upon the kindness of your stepmom. Just as it was all those years ago. Yeah, and you know what he keeps saying to me is that he's like, Oh, you need to make amends with her. Yeah. You know, she's she's getting old now. She um, like some of her family don't even talk to her because of apparently like you know she wants someone she, she wants someone she listen sorry to interrupt you she wants someone who she has control over and yeah. so she is making sure that that someone is you yeah and and that's and coming my dad, through your dad yeah my dad keeps saying that um my dad keeps saying that like you know oh she's she's in her old age, she's realizing that she um, she doesn't have anybody to, you know, bully. take care of her. And, and she's really worried about what's going to happen to her when I go. And Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I get and, all of that. She, she, she's someone who likes to bully, and she needs someone who's going to bully you. She needs someone to bully, and that someone is, is you. And your father is setting all that up for her. And you know, and you know what? Like... I'm so stupid. I'm so I'm so stupid. I no, 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 won't, won't hear it. Won't hear it. Oh, no, listen. won't hear it. You're not stupid. I told them to move here. I said, why don't you guys move here so I can take care of you? Yep. And I was because I'm I'm I live in a country that my dad was born in and uh, and my dad moved to America uh, or not? Sorry, yeah, America, and um, and he's still there, and I'm in the country that he was born in, and I'm and I'm like, why don't you guys move here? You know, we can, I can take care of you guys, and and like that's what I mean. That's how I feel stupid in saying that now. Well, and come on, I mean, you you are considering marriage at some point, kids, hopefully sooner rather than later, given the TikTok. But you know, yeah. you have to mentally cruel dependent people around you what guy is going to want to do that i i i do have a, a boyfriend okay so okay we, we do plan on getting married so okay just... well you know it's time to pull the trigger on that shit you're in your 30s in my humble opinion right but it's going to be really tough on your marriage if you have two people who abused you in the past who i think are kind of manipulating you in the present you know, there's a, there's a too late aspect to life, in my opinion. Yeah. There's a too late aspect to life, right? Yeah. You know, it's it's cool. too late to apologize when you've already had the affair. Yeah. Right? It's it's well, it's too late to apologize for stealing the money when you've spent it all and refused to pay it back. And the question is, when is it too late for parents? Well, your suffering should have been clues enough that they were bad parents yeah you're suffering your self-destructive aspects uh, uh, the abusive relationship that you were in or, or more than one suicide attempts right that should have been enough for them to say holy shit we put a hell of a burden on this kid we've really done something wrong let's get ourselves into therapy right yeah which they didn't do no and now they're dangling in a tortuous way the thing that they know you most need or want because they want something from you 
Well, and what that means is that they've always known that's what you've wanted, but they withheld it because it served their own selfish interests, and now they're providing it to you because it serves their own selfish interests. Yeah. And now you're going to take care of them when they didn't take care of you? No. No. Well, I certainly, I would certainly mull it over. Uh, I would, I would, you know, I mean, I don't tell people what to do, but I would certainly, I would certainly mull it over. And I, I'm enormously suspicious of these turnabouts when you need something. Well, like you said, I'm never going to get the dad back that I needed when I was younger. Yeah. So what's the point? It's you, you've seen this a million times in movies. This is a dramatic example, but you've seen this a million times in movies where the bad guy has the gun, right? And he's like all yeah. kinds of dancing and and pointing it, and he's all in control and power and this, that, and the other, right? And then the good guy grabs the gun, and the bad guy is all like, "Hey, you know, let's work it out. Let's be reasonable. Let's let's negotiate, right?" Nothing's changed other than the the gun has switched hands. <laughs> And nothing's yeah. changed here except they don't have the power to compel you to do what they want. So now they have to entice and manipulate. Yeah. Yeah. So, Stefan, my, my question is, how do I get over it? Get over what? Like, like I still want to keep my dad my, in, my, in my life because... No. No, 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 come on. <laughs> no. It's, you have to be accurate about what it is that you're doing and what it is that you want. You okay. want to avoid grieving. I want to, I'm sorry, that cut out. You want second. to avoid grieving. Grieving, right. okay. There's an old saying which says all mental dysfunction is the result of the avoidance of legitimate suffering. Right. Your father has not grown a conscience. Your stepmother has not grown a conscience. Empathy is something that develops between 12 and 16 months of life, and it's like the language window. If it doesn't ever happen, then it's, to my knowledge, functionally impossible. Oh, they got hit by lightning or took a hammer blow to the head, uh, a singer of Oasis style or whatever, right? And maybe that changes something, yes. but uh, they're, not, they're not different now than they were when you were 5 or 3 or 10 or 15 or 20 or 25 or 30. They're the same people. Why? How do we know that? Yeah. Because they haven't done the self-work necessary to change. All that's changed is that they're now, instead of being in a position of having power over you, they need things from you, so they're just changing their strategies. That's all. But okay. nothing fundamentally has changed. So, I think that you're still looking for closure to your childhood that is based upon something that they can do. So, in a kind of way, you're manipulating each other, right? Because you want them to provide you something and they want you to provide them something. In other words, both sides of the relationship a contingent upon the provision of something. For them, they want you to provide resources to take care of them. And for you, you want to provide you want them to provide you some way to avoid grieving what you lost as a child. Which yeah. when I talked about it, right, you kind of burst into tears, right? Because that really connected when I said you're never gonna get the dad that you needed. It's true. Yeah. It's true. It's true. Well I no one ever put it to me that way and it kind of just made sense and that's why I cried. Right, right. So don't manipulate them, in my humble opinion, right? Which is don't have them around in order to avoid the suffering of your childhood and, and grieving it and, and moving on and all that, right? And yeah. don't... See, if you stop manipulating them, then they, they don't really have... Like manipulation is something that... It almost always has to be two-way to, to last, 
right? I, I don't think that either of you particularly like each other, or any of you in this sad story particularly like each other, but you need things from each other. And that's, yeah. I don't think that's a good, I don't think that's a good foundation for interaction. So I have a question. All right, we've got to make it quick because I have uh, yep. a next appointment, but please go ahead. No, all right. One last thing, Stefan. So in order to give myself closure, this is something that I can do. Um, if I could write out literally everything that they did wrong and just have that as a letter to them, even if I don't send it, mm. would that be a good idea? Well, I, th I think that's, that's a fine thing to do, and I think it's a useful thing. Personal histories, I think, are very useful. To, to, to process but you know my only reminder would be that it's you know it's unfixable I know it's unfixable you know the, the losses that we experience as childhood this is another cliche you see in these medical dramas six million times right whether the patient is flatlined and the doctor yeah. is like still trying to do the heart compressions and still trying to do the paddles and then the defibrillator and it's you know and at some point the nurse has to put her hand on his forearm and say it's, he's, he's gone I'm calling yeah. it. No, don't call it. Do, 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 do. I'm calling it. Right? Yeah. And this is what it's like with childhood, except we're trying to do it with skeletons. Yeah, you're right. You're so, right. you know, write all the stuff and it can't be fixed and it can't be fixed. Now, that doesn't mean you can't be happy at all, right? I mean, once we accept it can't be fixed, right? Once we accept the patient is dead, we can, we can go do something else, right? We can let go yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, live our lives. Yes, that's right. All right. That's All right. right. All right. Will you let me know how it goes? Yeah. Do you want me to email you or Skype you? Yeah, yeah. Just, just send me a message on Skype. And uh, also, um, uh, how was the conversation for you? It was really good. It was really – I've been so excited to speak to you. Um, but one thing I have to point out to you, Stefan, don't laugh when you speak about your mother because that's only going to hurt you. And it's – don't do that. And one more thing, um, you did mention in one of your um, one of your calls, you said that Wales was in England and Wales is not. In England. You know it's that's absolutely country. correct. I <laughs> I also uh, since we're doing corrections, uh, I also talked about Barry Goldwater being from California. Uh, Barry Goldwater, his son is from California, who was also a politician, but he himself is from Arizona. So yes, that oh, is uh, entirely correct. And I do remember <laughs> the uh, the Wales in England. Uh, Wales, of course, in Great Britain, but not in England. Yeah, thank you very much. I yes. appreciate that feedback. All yeah. right, keep me posted, and thanks again for the call. It was really, really good. Oh, thank you, Stefan. You're amazing. Appreciate it. Take care. You too. Bye.